It is too little for you to worry, man, and you worry, my God, also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son in the name that shall call it Emmanuel. The virgin shall conceive and call his name Emmanuel. Let's sing number 270, Joy to the World. Sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glory of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love. Amen. And now let's hear the good word from Psalm 110.
It's good to know that God never, ever changes his mind and that he has declared the end from the beginning and has made all things come true. Amen. Let's sing of the great promises of God in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Number 245. Here from Isaiah chapter 
Part of the coming of Christ is the conquering of his enemies, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. And we sing of that, and we sing of that good news every Sunday. But today we are singing of his advent and his birth, and we will sing number 277, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Why don't you stand with me? We'll stand through the hymn, the next reading, and then the next hymn, okay? standing as Rick comes and reads to us Psalm 96.
of the night that Christ was born while shepherds watched their flocks. seated, and now we'll hear from the book of Titus. Well, you'll notice I call it a homily in the bulletin. That's to keep me in check and 
to encourage you that it will be fairly short this evening. Um, it's such a good time of the year. Uh, we have a, a moment in time where much of the world stops. Everyone in the Western world has one to two days off right now where they are literally sent home to celebrate Christmas. And we should not let that go lightly by. One of the readings this, this evening was from Psalm 96, and it began with something like that. He says, uh, just read it. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. All over the radio for a month is the declaration of the birth of the Lord of the universe. That is unbelievable when you think about it. Uh, And you have all these artists who are secular and without God in their lives singing songs like, Oh, holy night. And you're going, who are you? Why are you singing this song of the incarnation of the Lord of glory? And what's happening is God will be praised. The whole earth will sing of his glory, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Multiple times in scripture, there are, there are people who prophesy unknowingly, right? So you have the great high priest during Jesus' time. He says, shall the whole nation perish on account of one man? Not knowing what he was saying. And then you have Saul who was prophesying, not really understanding what he was saying. All the time, all the time, this whole month long, All these people all across the Western world singing to God be glory. Redoing Handel's Messiah at all these secular universities that have big arts programs like IU. Handel's Messiah is just scripture put to music. That's all it is. And they deny God all day long, all year long, except for this one month. They deny him at Easter even, but they... They somehow, somewhere, the Western world is affected by the fact that God came. He came to us. And he came in such an unusual, meek, strange way. So this evening I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1. And it's oftentimes called Mary's Magnificat. It's Mary's song of the New Testament. So this is Mary, the mother of our Lord. She goes to visit her cousin, um, Elizabeth, who is older than her, much older, and is six months now along with John the Baptist in her womb, Jesus' cousin. And after they greeted one another, she says this, Mary says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And is merciest for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray to God for his help this evening. Father, we are very thankful to read about the birth of your son, Jesus, who saves us. We pray, Father, that his will would be done in our lives and the lives of many others. And, Father, we pray that the world would hear the gospel every single year until the earth should perish and your son returns. In his good name we pray. Amen. So, it I don't know, I probably knew this at one point. And, you know, it's funny how things come and go in your mind. And I have no steel trap of a mind, that's for sure. Because when, it, when I was reading, preparing for this sermon, and I read the last verse, and Mary remained with her about three months, it never hit in my head the fact that Mary was there for the birth of John the Baptist, uh, that she visited Elizabeth, this is 20 verses earlier, in her sixth month. And John the Baptist was born three months later, and so Mary stayed with her until the birth of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And it just never occurred to me that she would have known this little little infant boy who would grow up to be the voice of the one calling in the wilderness and knew him intimately from the time he was that big. It's just amazing. And then further, as I was reflecting on how God does kind of unbelievable things, is You know, you have this amazing scene in the fields around Jerusalem where the angels in their multitudes appear to the shepherds, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. This will be the sign for you. You're thinking, this is going to be big. This is going to be huge. This is the sign of the birth of the Savior of the Lord. This shall be the sign. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The most innocuous, nothing of a sign you could possibly... No one walking by the little stable where they were with a manger where the animals fed would think anything of what was happening other than some poor peasants had just given birth. And that was the sign to the shepherds that they had found the Lord of glory. This whole Advent season, we've been talking about the fact that God does unbelievable things through the the hands and feet and through impossible means that look like nothing good could happen. Nothing good could come of it. You're stranded in the desert without food. You're grumbling and moaning, and God gives you manna from heaven for 40 years. There's a famine in the land, and your husband, Elimelech, takes you out into the land of Moab, abandoning his people, and dies in the wilderness. And you return to the land of bread. And out of your womb comes the second in line from David, right? So Obed, Jesse, David. That's incredible. And then again, this little bitty town, Bethlehem, prophesied in Micah, that out of you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, This tiny burg in the land of Judah that's not even worth mentioning. From you will come the one who is to save. And then this is the sign when he comes. Swaddling clothes. In a manger. 
That's, that's the Lord of glory. That's the Savior of the world. And I say all this because this is the opposite, the opposite of ostentatious presentings. This is the opposite of how any one of us would present ourselves to the world. Think of it. Let's say you have a son. And let's say he happens to be somebody pretty big and famous. Let's say he's somebody like Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. Let's say he's your son. And he's, he's is he from Bedford? No, who's from Bedford? Gus Grissom. All right, let's pretend you're Gus Grissom's parents, right, in Bedford, right? Do you think that they kind of went, oh, Gus is home? Well, yeah, that's his bedroom over there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's no big deal. Or do you think when Gus Grissom came back to Bedford 40 years ago, 50 years ago, whenever it would have been, do you think perhaps his parents made a little bit of a fuss about their son, the astronaut, the great Gus Grissom of NASA fame, of worldwide acclaim? Do you think they made a big deal? I'm sure they did. They probably had newspaper articles. People probably came in. There was probably speeches from the mayor. It was a big to-do. There's no doubt in my mind. You would do the same for your children, right? You would come to this event in the city if you happened to even know a family with that kind of fame. You would come, and you would sit in the crowd, and you would cheer, and you would think, this is something big. This is something great. And God does the exact opposite of that. The total, complete 180 of everything we would think to do when our son, the Lord of glory, would come. We would make the stars come from the sky. And when he comes again, that's exactly what is going to happen. When the Lord's second advent happens, the whole earth will be awakened to the glory that they have overlooked. Now, why am I saying all of this? Verse 53 of Mary's Magnificat. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. We, all of us, every one of us, have great pride about who we are, what we've done, what our family has done, the rich heritage of whoever we know that has done good things. We always know who the great ones in our family are, or the great ones in our town, or the great ones in our state. We know all their names, right? We know that Hoagie Carmichael wrote Stardust in Bloomington, Indiana, right? We know this. We, we know, what's the guy who wrote Kiss Me Kate up in Kokomo? The, We know the great ones who are our claims to fame. Huh? Yeah, Cole Porter. That's right. All of us have all kinds of allegiances to all kinds of fame, right? So Kosciuszko County is uh, Jim Dillinger went there before he did all these things. So there's like all this great big stuff about Jim Dillinger came to the bank in Kosciuszko County. And so we even have this fascination with the kind of the the grittier side of things. So if your town was part of like Jesse James or something like that, you would have this little exhibit about Jesse James being in town or all of this kind of thing. And yet the Lord came 
And here's the sign. It shames the proud and the rich. It shames them because they were not invited. They were not invited. They did not get the triumphant angels singing in the sky. They got nothing, and they were sent away empty. Last week, on Sunday, we talked about Jesus being the bread of life. And the word being life to us. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here we have, in the Magnificat, this same idea. The Lord feeds the hungry with good things, but he sends the rich away hungry. We cannot come to the Lord thinking that we have nothing to be fed from, that we in ourselves have provided all that we could ever hope to provide. We do not come as a rich one. We come as hungry ones, hungry for God's word. And here's how we know if we're hungry or not. This whole Magnificat is in the context of one of the most impossible things in the world that Scripture records. Mary, the virgin, who did not know a man, and who the Holy Spirit came upon, and she conceived. And nine months later, Jesus was born. I've talked about this some, but this is an unbelievable thing. It is truly out of this world. You cannot explain it. It cannot be fathomed. And here's how to tell if you're rich or hungry. If you're rich, you have no time for that. No time for that. And you will find any way to disparage it. Because after all, no reasonable person could be thought to believe something so foolish. And this is exactly what the West has been doing for 150 years. They've been saying, okay, okay, here's, here's what we really know. In Isaiah, when it says virgin, when we translate the word virgin, it's actually the Hebrew word for young child. And so it doesn't actually mean without a man. And so therefore, it just means Mary was very young. The problem with that idea is that two or three times in the New Testament, it says she was a virgin who did not know a man. And so scripture is our final interpreter. And so yes, the word in Hebrew could mean young girl or virgin. But God makes it very clear when Jesus comes that it's not just a young girl, it is a virgin girl. And this kind of thing, this miraculous sort of thing, is food to the hungry. Because we know, if we are hungry, that we could never do anything like save the world or think of a grand plan to do it. That we are dependent utterly all the time on the God of glory doing the impossible, taking me and you, sinners, enemies of God, who hated God and all his law, giving us a new heart making us his child who loves his law and delights in his inner man to do the things God has commanded. If you're rich, you think, I've got no time for this. I've got no time for this miraculous bit. Who needs miracles when you have facts and data and stuff and things? 
Who needs any kind of outside this world help? We can do it all. That's the difference between the hungry and the rich. The hungry thinks, I've got no hope but a miracle. And so when God does a miracle, we think, I have hope. There is hope for me. Look what he did here. That's impossible. That can't happen. There's no way for that to physically happen. And yet, there it is. It really happened. And then we go, I can't love God. I've got lots of sin and guilt and shame and horror in my past. And then you go, but he's done the impossible. Maybe, just maybe, he can do the impossible. And I could love God. And I could walk after him. And he could save me, even though I'm unsavable. And that's the difference between the rich and the hungry. The rich go, nonsense, no time for that. No time for that. We need data and facts and A plus B equals C or it didn't happen. And God says, behold, the virgin will give birth. And then the virgin gave birth. And it's food for the hungry. And it is emptiness to the rich. So this is what I have for us tonight. God has, from the beginning, before the beginning of time, made this his eternal plan to do. His eternal plan was for this exact thing to happen on whatever day it happened 2,000 years ago. That it couldn't happen any other way, with any other people. It was always going to be Mary. It was always going to be Elizabeth. It was always going to be John the Baptist, her son. And his name was always going to be Jesus. This is from the beginning of Titus. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life. Do you see the poverty there? Do you see it? Their knowledge of the truth which accords to godliness in hope of eternal life. Rich people don't have hope. Rich people have confident assertion that it will come to pass. Think of it. We're all rich, so let's just think about this as rich people. When you came tonight, did you give a thought to whether our building would be heated? No. No, you didn't. None of us thought... Boy, I hope it's warm in the church building tonight, right? Why didn't, we, why didn't we have that hope? Because we've never known the poverty. Well, some of you have, but here in this building, we've not known the poverty of no heat. We don't know what it's like to hunger for heat in this building. So we have no reason to hope for heat because it always has been and always will be. That's the rich. That's how the rich act. And we are, by God's grace, very rich. But when it comes to the hope of eternal life, we have to be absolutely aware of the fact that it is God's discretion whether you inherit the eternal life promised in Christ or not. And so you dare to hope, like a hungry person dares for a scrap of food, like a cold person dares to hope for warmth in a building at night. In hope of eternal life, which God 
Remember earlier we, we read a passage of scripture that said God never lies. God who never lies promised before the ages began. Before, before he said let there be. Before that he promised. Who did he promise to? Himself. The Trinity. God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul's word came at the proper time. And when was the proper time? After the birth, death, and resurrection of the Lord of glory. That was the proper time. And it had been promised. Promised long ago, before Adam and Eve had ever walked the ground, that it was going to happen at the proper time time absolutely with assurance and then it did against all odds and with not even a little hint of the magnificence of what had just occurred on this planet so the question for you and me as we think about the the incarnation of jesus are you hungry for this impossible stuff of God? Does it give you some little bit of hope for yourself? Or are you so rich and confident that you need no hope, that you need no impossible, that you need nothing to assure you of the kingdom that is to come? I need assurance. I need assurance that my soul, myself, this guy who sins all the time, could have a hope of eternal life. And so I look at Scripture and I go, that's impossible. Maybe, just maybe, he can do the impossible here. And so that's where you need to have your hunger. Direct it towards the Lord. He will fill you with good things. He will fill you. You come at him and you go, I don't get it. I'm hungry to know. And he will fill you with good things. But if you think, who's got time for any of that stuff? Who's got time for any of that? You will go away empty. You will not inherit the kingdom. And all the good things of this world will be your reward. But if you come hungry, he himself will fill you. And he will be your reward. Amen. We're going to hear now from Luke chapter 2. It would be a little bit fuller crowd, but tonight you'll just have my children reciting for us Luke chapter 2. And then we will, after they've recited Luke 2 and they've sung away in a manger for you, go ahead and stand and we will light our candles and sing Silent night to close. At the bottom of your sheet, you can literally fold it pretty much right in half, and you'll have a little cheat sheet for the lyrics for Silent Night. Let me pray as my kids come. Father, we are very grateful for the humility of Mary to know that she was hungry and you were good to her. We pray, Father, you'd make us hungry, that we would come to you and then you would fill us that we would be satisfied with the food of your son, Jesus. We thank you. We pray this in the name of his name. Amen. Let me get the mic, guys.